This episode is brought to you by Sax.com. At Sax.com, it's easy to find your new vibe. Dive into the Western trend with gold cowboy boots from Stott. Or go full 90s throwback with platforms from Prada. You can shop for everything on your agenda. Whether it's a breezy Zimmerman dress for garden party or a bright Chloe blazer for brunch. Find inspiration for your new vibe. Every day at Saks.com. Mom deserves the best and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. My version of letting it grow would mean me having a different body, basically. I, I don't quite feel like I'm up for the challenge of walking around and being like, yeah, totally, I have a beard, whatever. I'm Lady Hey y'all and welcome to Unladylike, where we find out what happens when women break the rules. I'm Caroline. I'm Kristen, and this is episode two of our three-part mini-series, How to Wear Body Hair. Oh God. God, Kristen, if only the most complicated thing about body hair was the length of our shorts. It turns out the most complicated thing is figuring out how to get that Nair commercial (laughs) out of my head, Caroline. Truer words. (laughs) Okay, so last week, Caroline, you and I talked about all of the pesky patriarchal and, frankly, racist rules that constructed this whole idea of the feminine hairless ideal— And this week, we're going to dive deeper into the feminism of it all. Yeah, because sometimes it feels like feminism has conflicting rules around all this. So, you know, to some, being a true feminist means giving no fucks about patriarchy's beauty standards, telling us to shave every single stray hair on your body. To which... Other feminist rules say, um, my body, my choice. I'll let it grow if I want to. And for me personally, Caroline, that whole argument leaves me at a loss because I I don't think that just making up my mind equals feminism. Yeah. And honestly, the back and forth leaves a lot of us feeling confused and even guilty. Like, listen to Rebecca. So Rebecca tried going hairy and then told us that when she, quote, gave up and shaved— She actually felt like she had failed. Yeah, and the idea that shaving makes us failures is just as much bullshit as the idea that not shaving somehow makes us superior feminists. And so today, we're exploring this gray area often overlooked in feminist debates over body hair and patriarchy smashing. Two amazing Unladylike listeners are going to help us explore what it feels like when a binary body hair conversation ignores your spot on the spectrum. Our first guest, Jay, will tell us what happens when your feminist roommate catches you lasering in the apartment. And then our second guest, Alice, is going to tell us about her journey negotiating with body hair on the path to embracing her gender identity. And you might be surprised how her feminist mom reacts to it all. 
Plus, we're going to go back in time to figure out where the idea that not shaving makes you a better feminist even came from. So like wax to a leg, stick with us. Nair with baby oil, Nair with aloe vera, and new Nair roll-on for bikini area and underarm. So um, probably a question you don't get very often. Uh, could you describe your body hair? Um, so, gosh, where to start? Um, this is an unladylike listener we're calling Jay. Jay, yeah, I used to go by Jay when uh, when I was ordering coffee in the States. <laughs> I talked to Jay by Skype from where she lives now in the Netherlands. And Jay wrote to us because, well, she's hairy. I have hair on my chin and on my neck. <laughs> it sort of continues on as it wants to, um, uh, down to, I think, maybe like halfway down my thighs. And then uh, I just have leg hair and uh, basically hair everywhere. In her email, Jay said there was one thing in particular she really wanted to talk about. What it's like to position yourself in the body hair positivity narrative when your body hair is unruly beyond the point of what people expect it to be. Jay's family is from the Middle East and Mediterranean. Her skin is on the lighter side, and her coarse, dark hair stands out. She was constantly teased at school. She was always the hairy one. Even her sister's hair wasn't the same. In her late teens, when she started getting facial hair, Jay knew something was up. Literally yesterday, is my, my, I got officially diagnosed with PCOS for the first time. Yesterday? Yesterday. Really? Yes. Yesterday. Uh, so I've been going to the doctors since, I think, 15 was the first time I went to the doctors with this. And they said, yeah, you probably have PCOS, but there's nothing that we can do about that necessarily. Polycystic ovarian syndrome, or PCOS, is a hormone disorder that affects an estimated 1 in 10 women and people with uteruses. A primary symptom is high levels of androgens, a.k.a. male sex hormones like testosterone. And those androgens mean your body hair is probably going to grow in darker, coarser, and in places like your face, neck, and chest. And by the way, it's not just PCOS that can affect your hormones and hair growth. Menopause, pregnancy, thyroid disorders. Basically, if it throws your hormones out of whack and reduces your estrogen, chances are it's going to have some effect on your body hair. And beyond. For Jay, her hormone fluctuations can also cause skin irritation, which in turn makes it harder to shave. So my options is either acne or hair, because if I would shave on my face, that would that would mean like walking around with a constant breakout. When it comes to choosing to remove her body hair, Jay feels like her hand is forced. Like, sure, she could choose not to remove it, but then she'd be gawked at. Sometimes it even feels like her doctor is telling her what she's supposed to do with her body hair. She said, like, I can see that, you, you know, the, the hair growth on your face, that that's becoming more prominent and it's probably bothering you. I can see that you're not shaving it. And it was like, to hear that from a professional, that it's noticeable and that it's seen as a choice, it really sort of moved something in me, sort of made me realize exactly how, how much there is an expectation that if we have hair in a way that is obvious, we need to, to remove it. We need to shave it away. And I thought, <laughs> in my naive mind, I thought that I was being very... Um, that it was my private thing, that it had nothing to do with the outside world. But of course, it, it doesn't because it, it shows people notice, people see. 
People around Jay also get political about it. Jay and her friends are pretty active in the feminist scene where they live. And the prevailing attitude toward body hair is, if you want to stick it to the man, let it grow. Which Jay obviously feels a little complicated about. And things kind of came to a head for her with one of her old roommates. This woman didn't shave. And she also talked about her own body hair as if she was like, yeah, but I, I have quite a lot of hair and I don't remove it. And I would look at her hair growth and be like, that's, sweetie, that's not a lot of hair. <laughs> and that was around the time that I was I was getting so frustrated with my own hair that I literally secretly, I didn't tell anyone. I saved up for one of those laser, sort of hair removal lasers that, that you can use at home. Mm-hmm. But I didn't tell her. But the thing is, you can't quite laser at home in secret because, first of all, those things are incredibly loud. (laughs) And they flash these super bright red, sort of infrared flashes into the room. Like if the door is closed and the other person is on the other side of the door, what you will hear is a small engine and then like flashes of light coming from under the door. I would just assume, by the way, that you had like a wild new vibrator. (laughs) That would have been, you know, she would have supported that. Sure. But um, so I I usually lasered when she was gone. I'm sorry. I'm just really stuck on the image of a vibrator that has (laughs) flashing light. That would be amazing. That's a disco vibrator. So like Jay said, normally she lasered when her roommate wasn't home. But you've got to do it regularly at specific times. And this one time, the scheduling meant that her roommate was right outside her door in the living room. And she, of course, came into my room. She's like, the fuck is that noise? What is this disco in your room? And um, I tried to be cool about it. I'm like, yeah, I'm just lasering. And exactly the conversation that I was afraid was going to happen happened. She was like, I can't believe that you're lasering. I can't believe that you're doing this to your body in order to remove hair. Um, don't you know why, why, you know, why society wants us to remove hair? Don't you know the history of hair removal? All these things that we talked about a million times. So she knows I know. In the end, she she said, like, I can't believe that you, like the most feminist person I know, that's what she said, um, are doing this. And it hurt not because it felt true. It hurt because I just felt completely lost. I felt like I was talking to somebody who couldn't and wouldn't understand what I was going through. Jay also felt angry. She's frustrated of having to explain and even justify her body to people whose bodies are different from hers and less hairy. If I were to just let it grow as it once, then it will mean a beard. It will make me visible in a way that I don't think my friends, well, no, I know, I know that my friends don't deal with. It's not something that anybody, especially not here and not in Europe, Uh, especially not in the city that I live in, which is incredibly white. Um, It's not the kind of body that people see very often. It's not the kind of body hair that people are very used to. Is there a healthier or more productive way that feminists in particular could be talking about body hair, sort of ways that we can change this narrative? Yeah, I think it would be be really nice to hear more acknowledgement that the narrative that we have around body hair is very much centered on white bodies and relatively hairless bodies. 
and um like also like in in romance novels even like when when bodies when masculine bodies and like attractive masculine bodies are described like that focuses on hair as well like they they talk about the happy trail like a sexy little trail and i'm just like i wish i could look at the hair below my belly button and be like oh yeah that's a sexy little you know that's a beautiful little trail Jay wants to move past the conversations like she's had with her roommate that focus on a very specific kind of hairiness and towards conversations that include the part of the body hair spectrum that her body fits into. She got a glimpse of the power these conversations can have a little while ago on vacation with her sisters and some friends. One of the other women on the trip also had hair growth on her face, and she approached Jay. We ended up having a conversation about what it's like to have <laughs> very visible hair growth on your face as a woman um, or as somebody who presents as a woman. And and at one point she said that, and she looks at me that she really likes the way that it looks. And I had exactly the same. Like I looked at her and she's like, she's gorgeous. And the way that it's sort of, you know, the, the side beards, it just looks, I thought it looked really just lovely and very beautiful in its own way. And it's really hard for me to feel that way when I look at myself in the mirror. And it was really nice to hear that she had the same experience and that she saw me in the same same way that I saw her. And it also made me realize why this is so difficult because I I'm kind of alone in this, in my environment, in my community. And if I wouldn't be alone in this, how much easier it would be to be proud of this, how much easier it would be to to feel empowered in this body, I guess. Kristen, can I just say that everyone deserves to feel empowered in their bodies, or at least okay with their bodies, no matter what their hair looks like. And we need to find a way to have a conversation about feminism and body hair that helps that happen rather than, you know, like, completely hinder it. I totally agree, Caroline. That's why after the break, you and I are going to unpack the claptrap on hairy feminism and the important ideas that this whole just choose your choice thing doesn't make room for. Stick around. This episode is brought to you by Sax.com. At Sax.com, it's easy to find your new vibe. Dive into the Western trend with gold cowboy boots from Stott. Or go full 90s throwback with platforms from Prada. You can shop for everything on your agenda. Whether it's a breezy Zimmerman dress for a garden party or a bright Chloe blazer for brunch. Find inspiration for your new vibe. Every day at Sax.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Hey! 
some totally practical reasons why breaking body hair rules makes feminist sense. Oh, sure. I mean, I'm a feminist who shaves, and it costs me time, money, energy, (laughs) band-aids, and yet I still do it, Caroline. (laughs) (laughs) What we're curious about, though, is how hairiness became this sort of purity test for feminism in the first place. Yeah, because hearing that story about... Jay's roommate raises a lot of red flags for us as feminists because if someone in the name of feminism is disappointed in you because of how you are grooming your body hair, that just, it doesn't feel like actual feminism. Is that Mm -hmm. making sense? Yeah, and it does make so much sense that I feel like it's time to unpack some claptrap about it. Unpack the Claptrap is the part of the show where we tweeze out patriarchy's unibrow to find out why things are the way they are. And today, we specifically want to know where the idea that not shaving makes you a better feminist came from. So a lot of this gets started in the 1970s. You know, hair's political. You've got afros, you've got hippies with long hair and beards, and so it's honestly not surprising that feminists are getting in on that political hair action too. Right, but instead of growing out their head hair or face hair, feminists were all about growing out that leg and pit hair. And this was such a feminist issue at the time that in July 1972, the very first monthly issue of Ms. Magazine hits the newsstands. And y'all may have seen this issue before. It's kind of iconic now. Wonder Woman's on the cover with this headline, Wonder Woman for President, and she's saving everything. (laughs) And in the top right corner, kind of right above her giant superwoman hand, there's the headline, Body Hair, The Last Frontier. The authors Harriet Lyons and Rebecca Rosenblatt first tried to get this published in Cosmopolitan, but even Cosmo was like, uh, no, this is a step too far. (laughs) Even though, Caroline, what is hilarious is that just a couple months before, Cosmopolitan had just published that centerfold of a nude Burt Reynolds who was about as hairy as they come. (laughs) He was about as hairy as the bear rug that he was lying on. It's true. So even Cosmo, which is like totally cool with all of Burt Reynolds' chest hair, was like, uh, leg hair on feminists? Get out of here. It's a hair too far. But not a hair too far. For Ms. Magazine. That's right. So in this three-page manifesto, Rosenblatt and Lyons were essentially pining for a feminist future when, quote, this small but intimate tyranny will be resisted. Tyranny meaning, like, girl, you gotta be smooth. Yeah, because, okay, we also have to put the context of the time. We're living in a very heteronormative, leave-it-to-beaver-ish kind of age, even though, of course, all of that was starting to be challenged. But these feminists were saying, look, we're already having to raise the kids and do the dishes and look pretty for men. And then we also have to remove all the hair from our bodies. Fuck that. But their most important kind of underlying argument for the whole thing was not just thumbing their nose at the male gaze, but also, as they put it, affirming our natural femaleness, essentially saying that when we are shaving off or removing our body hair, we are removing a part of our natural essence as women. And keep that idea of the natural woman in mind, y'all. 
And not shockingly, their essay kind of went old school viral. It created that hairy feminist as the symbol of women's lib and radical feminists that we're so familiar with today. Yeah, and since there wasn't Twitter or comment sections, we did have letters to the editor to hear about how people were so up in arms over these hairy feminists. Like this one person in 1973 who wrote the New York Times complaining about armpit feminists, women whose involvement with the ethic of body hair has overpowered other considerations. In 1977, uh, 20,000 women convened in Houston, Texas, for the National Women's Conference. And one Texas legislator called these women hairy-legged zoo girls, which to me, Kristen, honestly just sounds like a really cool band or like a group of go-go dancers. (laughs) But in reality, like, it wasn't like women everywhere were flushing their razors down the toilet. Like, in fact, a couple years before that Texas legislator was railing against all those hairy-legged, zoo-legged girls, whatever, the New York Times reported that American women were back to shaving legs and that only a, quote, core group of militant women were still still hanging on to their leg hair, reinforcing Mm. this connection between radical gender politics and body hair. And this whole core group of militant feminists was considered such a cultural blip that Gillette was like, hey, the rest of you ladies, we're answering this whole freedom business by putting out more razors. Here's a lime green fashion razor to, I don't know, match your purse? Or, you know, give you another choice to choose. Mm. But regardless of the lime green razors, Caroline, the stereotype of the hairy feminist stuck around, or should I say kept Mm -hmm. sticking around, because the whole idea that calling a woman hairy is an insult is sort of misogyny at its laziest. Patriarchy's go-to insult has always been to call a woman mannish and therefore not desirable to the male gaze. And what worse of a thing could you be? Yeah, I mean, all you have to do is look back to the suffrage movement. So in the 19th century, Punch magazine always ran these, like, political cartoons, and they were, of course, very fond of lampooning suffragists. And there was one cartoon that had speech bubbles like, My hair is dark chestnut. My mustachios are rather lighter. Of course, again, calling suffragists mannish because surely that would scare you away from feminism. That's right, because if you hang out with those ugly old feminists, men aren't going to talk to you. I like that mustachios sounds like cereal, though. Oh, I need some mustachios. kind of hungry. <laughs> But the thing is, the hairy feminist has stuck around. Uh, It really became synonymous with being a man-hater in the 1980s amid all of the conservative backlash to the whole swingin' 70s movement. Because the argument that was then adopted by both men and women alike was this idea that, no, 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 the natural thing for a woman is to want to be attractive to men. Otherwise, that just makes you an uptight lesbian feminist. It's interesting, too, to see that from the 1980s really to the 2010s, the amount of hairlessness that women really focused on arguably just increased. Because, Caroline, I don't know about you, but I feel like we spent at least all of the early aughts just debating pubic hair. (laughs) 
<laughs> I mean, I know that's all my family debated around the Thanksgiving table. Um, but it also seems like during that time, the feminist debate evolved beyond like, okay, if you're going to be a truly committed feminist, you got to throw away your razors. Flipped to, okay, listen, radical feminists, I'm also a feminist, but I can also shave because I choose my choice. Therefore, mm. that is feminism. Mm-hmm. But choice assumes that we're all dealing with the same potential consequences of growing or not growing our body hair. It's also assuming that all of our body hair grows exactly the same way. Which, of course, makes me think of Jay. Right, because she feels so overlooked in these feminist conversations because a lot of times we're applying a binary choice of either exercising agency or somehow being pawns of patriarchy by excessively grooming ourselves when, in fact, like, we're not acknowledging the spectrum of bodies and identities that interact with all of this messaging that is projected onto our body hair. So I think it's important to keep in mind when we're considering, like, what to do with our body hair and the idea of choice that actually living it out is a lot different than, like, theoretical gender politics. Yes, yes, and I think that's the critical point, right? Like, that we can talk and we can debate all day long what's right, what's wrong, what's powerful and empowered, but ultimately we can't forget the actual human people who are living in those hairy or hairless or somewhere in between bodies every day. And it also underscores the fact that I don't think that we have fully moved on from the underlying assumptions, you know, in that original body hair final frontier manifesto that we are specifically dealing with usually white, middle class, cisgender, femme identities here. Like there's kind of no broader room beyond that. And I think until we are actually considering the entire intersectional spectrum of our lived experiences... We definitely can't prescribe some kind of blanket body hair grooming regimen for women. Right. And if we do, all that does is exclude women like Jay. Right. And speaking of Jay, there was one part of her email that really stood out to us where she wrote, Where I do find understanding and friends who have gone through similar things is with my trans and genderqueer friends. And there, I struggle with the fear that I'm hijacking a narrative that isn't mine, that I'm intruding, that the overlap in the Venn diagram of our experiences is too fractional to engage. But you know what? What? Inspired by Jay? Let's engage. Yes. And our next guest is going to take us deeper into that Venn diagram. I'm transgender, and my body hair has always been a place of severe discomfort for me. This unladylike listener can basically track her gender transition by what she was comfortable shaving. And after the break, she'll tell us all about that journey and what she thinks is missing from the feminist body hair debate. Stay with us. Your brain needs support, and new Ollie Brainy Chews are a delightful way to take care of your cognitive health. Made with scientifically backed ingredients like Thai ginger, L theanine, and caffeine, Brainy Chews support healthy brain function and help you find your focus, stay chill, or get energized. 
Be kind to your mind and get these nootropic chews at Ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y.com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well... That's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble with exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. Do you feel like there are elements missing from a lot of those feminist body hair debates well, I think that usually the, the things that are missing are the acknowledgement of the bodies that aren't deemed, like, conventionally attractive. We're back with an unladylike listener going by her middle name today, Alice. Like, oh, sure, embrace your hair. But if I were to, like, walk down the street with, like, the amount of hair that was on my body, like, before treatments or before shaving or before hormones or anything, people would be, like, aghast and... I would feel bad and everyone else would like not enjoy that. And that's not part of the narrative. The narrative doesn't have that like embrace trans women's bodies. They just kind of like, oh, conform. Conforming is exactly what Alice's mom did not want for Alice's sister growing up. My mother was fairly anti-shaving. So that was something that she did try to instill in my sister. Um, My mom believes that women shave to look pretty for men, and that society and Big Razor are terrible. (laughs) Y'all know Big Razor. Like the shaving lobby telling telling you that you have to buy more razors and nair and stuff. I'm picturing them, like, coming at you, like, at at the Capitol with, like, a bottle of nair. (laughs) Run! Those are sharp angles. I know. All those razors don't run with razors. So anyway, Alice's body hair was kind of blondish-brownish and not terribly thick, but she couldn't stand it. Because by the time Alice was 16, she was finally starting to put words to emotions she'd been feeling around her gender identity. And it turns out that shaving was a way that she could experiment with that in a private and temporary way. I would shave or tweeze, like, just like a small rectangle of hair like on my upper thigh just to like do it but I didn't want to shave all of my legs because I thought that people would think that was weird I, I don't think I knew why I liked it I think I just didn't by 17 or 18 Alice started shaving her ankles and she justified it by telling herself you know I just don't like the way my socks elastic pulls at my leg hair this was after like I had sort of like become come to realize that I was trans but years before I actually transitioned So it was kind of a lot of combination of, like, embracing things and also partially denying the reason I was doing it and not wanting to embrace too much because, like, kind of being scared to transition. But then one day in college, Alice is taking a shower and makes a bold move. So I think it was just kind of like, oh, I'm already doing it. Oh, I shaved too much. Like, I went too high. Let's just keep going. (laughs) And um. And then it was kind of this great feeling, but then also a little bit of, like, this nervousness that somebody's going to call me out on it. So I just, like, started, like, making up excuses of, like, in case someone was like, why are your legs shaved? I could be like, oh, I, I 
think about swimming sometimes, so I shave my legs, something like that. Um, <laughs> yeah, so it was that mixture of anxiousness and just absolute pleasure. <laughs> For Alice, her natural body hair growth plays a huge role in the dysphoria that she's felt towards her body. The debate over whether or not shaving makes you more of a feminist doesn't really make room for Alice's complex feelings about her body. Seeing those signs that, like, indicate that I'm trans and being trans, like, is scary. And being in public and not knowing, like, how you're perceived and trying to minimize all those, all those stuff that's going to get you clocked. And it sort of just always brought up this feeling that, like, oh, I'll never pass. And just, like, these little dark hairs on my shoulder could just remind me of that. And then as as I got over that, it was sort of also a getting over, getting over and embracing my gender. And through that, embracing shaving more and more parts of my body that I didn't want to have to see with hair on them. So Alice kept shaving everywhere to feel better about wearing low-cut shirts or dresses. She'd do some maintenance shaving like every other day, and some days she'd devote a few hours to taking off just everything in the shower. But being who she is and growing up with the messages that she did, Alice also felt a little bit of guilt about her shaving routine. Like, wait, 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 shouldn't I just accept my body? I think there was a small part of me that was very torn between wanting that, like, to not shave and to not embrace, like, big razor and that kind of thing, but also knowing how much better it felt. Like, I'm not going to wear a dress that looks like an open back if my back looks looks like how it did, and like that kind of thing. But on top of negotiating her own feelings about shaving, Alice had another important woman's opinion to contend with. What was your mom's reaction to you know, the first time she realized that you were shaving your legs? She didn't like that I shaved like, after transition because of, like, patriarchal expectations for women to shave. And it took her a little while to get over the fact that, like, I can't be comfortable, like, I wasn't comfortable in my body without shaving. So, like, that's just hilarious to me because I think, like, of all the reasons to have a parent, like, say how they don't completely agree with how you're, like, presenting womanhood, (laughs) shaving (laughs) is not the one you ever expect. (laughs) Sounds like coming out was sort of the easy part. It's more the yeah, legs that was that the, the easy problem. part. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the uh, trying to understand how much pain body hair gave me, and that sh- it was okay that I shave my legs was such a bigger felt like such a bigger deal than anything to do with my actual gender. A while back, Alice decided to start hormone therapy. And basically, that entails taking meds to block testosterone. And when you take estrogen, that not only reduces testosterone production, but it also sparks the development of larger breasts, shifting fat distribution, and lighter body hair. Hormone therapy's effects on body hair usually start anywhere from 6 to 12 months in. And within three years, you're basically at your new normal. So I was lucky enough that within, like, what— eight to ten months it had pretty much completely gone to like blonde so it was like my i'm feeling it just to like kind of verify that i know what i'm talking about um (laughs) like uh yeah like my hair is definitely a lot less coarse than it was It, it definitely thins out 
Um, and it super lightens up. But I think also it's just like, even even though it's like just a little bit lighter, just a little bit thinner, it just really makes a difference for not being completely overcome with like grief and pain. Just like if I like look at my shoulder and see that there's hair there, it's like, oh, it's hair. I'm a mammal. As opposed to, oh no, I'm going to like go shave it off immediately. So I think that's like, that's been huge is really just like being more comfortable looking at my body. So comfortable that Alice has started experimenting again. Like last week, I wore a dress and didn't shave my legs for like the first time in my entire life. (laughs) And I was like, whoa, oh, I did this. And also like, I wouldn't have done this when my leg hair was darker. So like, it was a big deal for me because like I knew it was there, but I don't, I have no idea if the people on the bus knew it was there. I don't know if the people on the bus cared. That's the beauty of the bus. (laughs) (laughs) Put that on a (laughs) t-shirt. And wear it on the bus. And wear it on the bus. No one will notice. (laughs) Are there any, like, last words you would want to impart on listeners? Maybe it's about gender identity and body hair. Maybe it's just about what we talked about earlier as far as, like, what's left out of the, like, feminist body hair conversation. Um, Just that... It is important to, especially for, like, young trans people, like, finding a place with your body where you can be happy with it and live with it is better than trying to be radical with it. Mm. And as amazing as it is to, like, be radical and go in the face of, like, negative societal pressures, if you can't survive in the body you have because you're trying to do that, that's no longer radical. Now it's just painful. What does it take to be proud of your body hair, especially when its presence feels extra taboo? Well, next week, we are wrapping up our mini-series on how to wear body hair by talking to one woman who's put up with body hair shaming from her school, her religious community, and her whole country. And I go, wow, if you can survive that, you got to accept yourself, mate. you got to accept yourself because no one else is going to do that for you. Don't miss it. Okay, y'all, time to chime in on how we can be having more productive conversations about body hair. Join our private Facebook group to share your thoughts with us and the rest of the Unladylike community. You can also email us at hello at unladylike.co or find us on all the social medias at Unladylike Media. And be sure to check out our Instagram. There you can find the beautiful illustrations that our friends at Miss Gloria are making for this How to Wear Body Hair series. So go check them out. And make sure you check out our website for all of our sources and resources from this episode. Plus, you can also find our merch and sign up for our newsletter, where you'll get good news about women in the world every week in your inbox. That's right. You heard it. Good news exists, even about women. Find it all at unladylike.co. Abigail Keel is the senior producer of Unladylike. Nora Ritchie is our associate producer. Gianna Palmer is our story editor. Ash Sanders transcribes our tape. Our music is by Flamingo Shadow, Amit May Cohen, and Sarah Tudson. Mixing, sound design, and additional music is by Casey Holford. Our executive producers are Chris Bannon and Daisy Rosario. Special thanks to Minnesota Public Radio. And we are your hosts, Kristen Conger and Caroline Irvin. And y'all, if you can't wait until next week for more Unladylike... 
sign up for Stitcher Premium. Every Wednesday, we release a brand new pep talk. Tomorrow, the incredible Ashley Ford is helping us navigate class, money, and all of the complicated feels that come along with it. It's seriously a revelation. Go to stitcher.com slash premium and use code unladylike for a month of free listening. And make sure you're subscribed to Unladylike in Stitcher, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you like to listen. And remember, got a problem? Get Unladylike. Engage. Yes, because we have such a fantastic guest to engage with, Caroline. How many times can we say engage? Are we engage. now engaged? <laughs> yeah, no, we're already married. Don't be ridiculous. Stitcher. <laughs> 